Last week, I got an opportunity to talk to you about the fact that God designed three places where he wanted to meet and connect with people. Uh, He designed those places. He actually also uh, told us what he wanted to occur in each of those places so that you and I might connect with God, so you and I might experience God. The first place that happened was in the tabernacle. And Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, not just getting the Ten Commandments, but he got the design for the tabernacle, the color scheme. Uh, what was to be implemented, the furniture that was to take place, the way worship was to be done, giving was to happen. All that was in the tabernacle. Then it went to a grander level in the temple. And then it went to an ultimately grander level in the church, uh, which is super cool. But I want you to think about the fact that one thing all three have in common, they were places where you connected with God through what we would call very sensory experiences. So a lot of people think church is about coming and hearing a pastor preach. Uh, no, that, that is not necessarily. Actually, it's a little bit of what's supposed to happen. The church, the temple, and the tabernacle was where you came together with the people of God to experience God. And again, it was to be very, very sensory. Uh, for instance, the tabernacle uh, in the temple had lights that were lit, candles that were lit, and, and they would give off this cool, cool candlelight kind of effect. Uh, then there also was incense rising. Uh, as a matter of fact, by the time the temple came, there was a place where there was the burning of the incense and there was a, such an ingredient mixture that happened that it came up as a pillar of smoke. And people who saw it said it didn't dissipate till it hit the roof and then it would roll into the Holy of Holies and then come out and begin to fill the temple with smoke, uh, kind of a light smoke effect, along with the candles being lit. So you would stand knowing the very presence of God was reaching out to you. Then there was the smell of baked bread. Now, I got to say, that's heaven on earth. Baked bread. Anybody else? Yeah. They, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you too, huh? Baked bread. All right. So then you got that. Then there was the smell of the, the sacrifices that were made, which were meat. And so you would smell the barbecuing of the meat. And then there were the sounds of the choir and the musical instruments. And there was the times that were anointing with people with olive oil. And then you may not know this, but there was baptism. In the tabernacle in the temple, if somebody who was a Gentile, someone who was not a Jew, wanted to become part of the children of God, they would go through different things, but one of which was to be baptized, where they were buried under the water, and it was pronounced that they were dead to being a Gentile, and they raised up out of the water and were proclaimed part of the Jewish nation and the children of God. So it was a total sensory experience, and so what happened is God gave that to us, God wanted that for us, and we need to understand. That's one of the ways we connect with God. That's how God designed, God designed worship in the tabernacle, how God designed worship in the temple, and how God implemented worship in the church. So God, God knew that you and I need these kind of sensory experiences. And he made you that way. He wanted you that way so you could connect with him. So when we start thinking about how do we worship God, How do we come into connection with God? Uh, We've been using the five love languages to show you that every time we worship, what we're doing is showing love to God. Uh, Words of affirmation or praise sung or spoken is a way of worshiping God. Uh, Giving gifts is a way of worshiping God. And then now we know quality time. 
is a way of worshiping God, which brings us to the fourth love language tonight, physical touch. Physical touch. Leslie, you can't see Leslie. She is wondering about this. She actually kept saying, how does that even happen? Uh, I got to tell you, I was in a part of sharing a little bit on this and a debate broke out. You can't have physical touch with God. But I want to tell you, whether you believe it or not, three times in my life, I felt God touch me. Uh, the very first time as I was a non-Christian sitting in a little Baptist church, uh, I was actually wanting to have a relationship with God, but I didn't know how. And I got to be honest, I wasn't listening that well to the message. I just sat there realizing I didn't know God. I wanted God. I wasn't sure how to find God. And then uh, the, the pastor gave the invitation. Now, even though I love that church, you got to know this. It's not a put down, just the fact. I had been there before because that was my grandmother's church, but nobody ever went forward. Uh, they gave invitations week after week. I don't know, Tommy, if you've ever been to church like that. Nobody ever went forward. And so what happens, the pastor, he was faithful. He gave the invitation. And we all stood up and we sang a song called, Just As I Am. Uh. Yeah, you know that one, Dave, right? Yeah. So how many people know that song? Okay, a couple of you do. All right, Natalie, good job. All right. We're singing that song and I'm standing there and I felt two hands grab my shoulders. Now, I felt the hands. They were there. And I looked back and nobody was behind me. And then those two hands started pushing me out into the aisle. And I didn't know what I was doing. And my dad is looking at me because my dad wasn't a Christian. Like, what are you doing? And I looked at my dad like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I was standing in the aisle and the pastor's like, ah, someone's coming forward. And I was going forward. And I am not kidding. I needed a touch from God to get me down that aisle and God touched me. And I'll never forget that moment. It was real. It was real. Years later, I was at Cedar sinai Hospital with my seven-year-old son. And the doctors had told me, they walked in the room and said, hey, you need to prepare yourself. There's a very real possibility he's not gonna make it till Friday. It was a Tuesday. Pam had no idea where we were. I had been moved from specialist to specialist as fast as we could when they realized how serious he was. And when the doctors walked away, I didn't think I could make it. I can still remember the feeling now. I felt lost. I felt weak. And I looked over at my little boy laying in that big bed, and I thought, I don't even know how to be there for him. He needs his dad right now, but his dad's not strong enough for this. And I remember saying, God, I need you. I need you. And I am not kidding. God came around me. I felt God. I felt the touch of God. I had his comfort. I had his love. And I had his strength because I had none. And I walked in and could be strong for my son, not because of me, but for God. By the way, God ended up not only sparing my son, but healing him completely from what he was facing, uh, which was a miracle. Yeah. Years later, I was standing with my same son now who was 16 years old in a hospital along with my wife, Pam, and my youngest son, Tim, and my mom in a hospital room uh, in Riverside, the Kaiser Hospital in Riverside, and my dad was screaming in agony. We didn't know what he had. We didn't know what was happening in his life. We had watched him physically descending from being one of the strongest men I knew 
to now a man who was just literally not able to make it. And he was in so much pain. He's screaming and screaming and screaming. And they had strapped him to this huge hospital bed. But he was in so much pain as he rocked and screamed. He was shaking it. And the doctors and the nurses all stood back because no one knew what it was. And no one didn't, in that moment, want to get close. And I said, God, I need you. And I remember praying this prayer, God, either take him or heal him, but don't let this keep going on. I can't take it again. And then I felt God again. It was exactly the same as Cedar sinai God touched me. God came upon me. It was very real. And again, I began to get comfort and strength from God when he did neither the healing nor the taking of my father in that moment. What he did is he gave me his grace. What he did is he gave me his love. What he did is give me a touch that I needed because I needed the touch of God. And so I want to tell you, when I think about the idea of being close to God and having physical touch experiences with God, three times in my life, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it happened. And I believe that God wants us in one way or another to have physical experiences with him. Maybe it won't be a touch like that. Maybe it won't be a moment like that for you. But somehow, some way, God has designed it so you and I will actually share in moments of a very real physical experience with God. Um, I got to tell you this. Uh, when I was at Hope University studying to be a pastor, I was in a psychology class. And our, our professor said this. He said, I want you guys to do an experiment. I want you to go out amongst your friends or amongst other students on campus and do something that will shock them. And then I want you to record their, their reaction, record what effect it had on them. So it was kind of our version of, of doing our own experiment, our own research. So I kept thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I even prayed about it. I thought, I know what I'll do. So I, I walked outside. I saw one of my friends from high school. We played football together. And I walked up to him. His name was Monty. And I said, Monty, how you doing? And I threw my arms around him and hugged him. I had never hugged Monty before. And he's in this moment. Uh, he's actually was bigger than me. But I'm hugging him. And I'm waiting to see his shocked reaction. And he hugged me back. And I was like, okay. He goes, dude, this is awesome. And I'm like, all right. I couldn't get away from Monty. Uh, but... But everybody I did it to, this was my surprise, at least for me. They all said, Chuck, I don't know what got into you, but we like it. We like it. I didn't know it at the time, but my number one love language was physical touch. But for some reason, I shut that down. Uh, in high school, I, you know, I would touch Pam because <laughs> we dated. But besides her, um, um, <laughs> Pam, you're so, yeah, we, we, uh, never mind. <laughs> That's a different study. <laughs> okay. But I, I never hardly touched anybody. And you know what is interesting about that? Is after that experiment, I realized, wait a minute. I need this. By the way, I know enough today through my study of counseling and psychology to know you do too. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the scariest parts of the COVID outbreak was the number of people who were not able to experience physical touch. Uh, one of the, the signs of, of an opportunity for suicidal ideation to take place is we find an absence of physical touch in somebody's life. And by the way, I'm talking about healthy physical touch, obviously. But you know what's so interesting? God made us 
to have affection. He made us to have touch. And when I didn't have that, I, I didn't even realize at the time how much I was missing of who I was and who God made me to be. So maybe because that's my love language, that's why God at times gives that to me. But all I'm saying is this, is you're worshiping a God who created you so that touch would be important to you. So sensory experience would be meaningful to you. Which brings me to a really interesting book. If you ever want to read it, it's a little bit older, but it's still a great book. It's called The God Gene. It's written by Dr. Dean Hammer, one of the first people to map the DNA molecule. Uh, Dr. Hammer's a geneticist. He's a neuroscientist. He's a very, very strong Christian. But because of his scientific background, he began to accumulate research and do some research on what he called the God gene. And so here was his premise. He believed that God wired it in your DNA to believe in God and to have a relationship with God. Now, that, there's a whole, I could get way off on what he says about atheism and all that. But here's what I want to tell you. He said it's genetically wired in you by God to have a relationship with God that's real. In the book, a part of the book, he talks about people who felt the presence of God. Now, being a neuroscientist, what he began to do was study people who had such a real relationship with God, not a religious one, a real vital relationship with God. And when they would be able to say, I feel God, I feel God. By the way, Leslie felt God, okay? Uh, And Leslie's got a scientific background, by the way. Uh, 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 Felt God. He began to study their brains And he began to say, get ready, they're going to say it. They would press a button when it was going to happen. But he could see how their brain began to activate as God's presence came upon them. As a matter of fact, what was so interesting to me about that, their brain became more active. Uh, Their emotional sensory parts of their brain, the amygdala and others, became especially active. And uh, their body began to produce neurochemicals that created pleasure and bonding. By the way, I think that bonding part's interesting because Dr. Hammer would say this, that God created us in those moments of feeling his presence to bond with him in a very real relationship. But the interesting thing to me was this, that everybody found that they were more sensitive. Their sense of touch was heightened. Their sense of the feeling uh, of like the air moving upon them uh, was heightened. Uh, The sense of people being around them was heightened. They began to feel more affectionate, which I thought was interesting. That's somebody who goes to a higher spiritual state with God becomes more affectionate and they began to be more emotional. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll go, man, I was at church and I just started crying and I don't know why. That's not me. And I'll say, you know what? That's what happens when you connect with the, you're going with that, right, Evan? That's what happens. And Janae, you actually, Janae's the counselor. She knows that. Uh, but, but you connect with God that way. And, and so what happened uh, is he said, all of this uh, happened to person after person within their research project to the point there was no way around. People who had a connection with God had these kinds of things occur in their life, but they would often describe it as this, feeling God, feeling God, feeling his presence, being around him. And, and so that's what God wants you and I to do is to come to times where it becomes very emotional, very sensory, that the presence of God is there. And somehow you know it. Now, God being God actually designed many ways for you to interact with him. But I want to give you two. 
These two are for everybody. These two should be uh, something you've done, or if you haven't done something you'll do, and something you repeatedly do. So one is more of a one-time act of connecting with God, and we call that baptism. Baptism is a moment where the word baptize means to dip, submerge, or plunge, where you actually go under the water, being buried with Christ, raised to walk in a new life. It's a physical way for you to at least symbolize a connection to Jesus. Interestingly, I think I told you, the Jewish people practiced baptism in the temple and the tabernacle prior to the coming of John the Baptist and prior to the coming of Jesus. It was done for you to die to being a Gentile and becoming alive to a Jew. But when Jesus instituted baptism, it was an idea of being buried with him and dying to your old self and arising to become the new. And so in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, it says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Remember that word baptized literally means those of you who have been plunged into the water with Jesus have been plunged into the water with his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him. Notice the idea of being completely buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. And notice this next line. For if we have been, and keep, keep this in mind, united. If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, you're buried with Christ to rise with Christ. You're buried with Christ to die to the old self and to rise to live with Jesus in a brand new way. And Jesus wants this for you. Jesus wants this with you. And so, by the way, the Jews practiced this in the tabernacle and the temple. John the Baptist practiced it as a baptism of repentance. And then Jesus said, no, it's the sign of the newness of life. And what happens in that moment is you're to experience him in a really, really incredible way. And things change when you do. Things get better when you do. Natalie, you had that happen, right? Yeah. Um, I was first baptized when I was a freshman in high school. And like everything you were describing about experiencing God in a physical touch way, like that is what I experienced. Um, I just remember getting so emotional and just overcome with this sense of the Holy Spirit indwelling in me. And it was just, I was surrounded by friends and family. And I remember coming out of the water and just crying because I was just so excited that I could live this new life with God and um, know that he was always there with me. He was always indwelling in me and he was always there for me. So um, that was super powerful. And then uh, a few years later, about two years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and I was able to get baptized in the Jordan River. Which is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was super cool. Um, and I, it was so awesome because I feel like from the time I first got baptized to then, I had dealt with a lot of anxiety. That was something that really was big in my life, um, just feeling like I had to reach this level that was unattainable. Um, and so it was a really beautiful moment to share my testimony right before I got baptized and um, to just feel that freedom of like, I'm admitting that this is one of my weaknesses, but that Jesus covers that and more mm -hmm. and is with me in those times of anxiety to give me that courage that comes from him. And you saw a very real change happen after being baptized in the Jordan River, right? 
Yeah, um, I feel like that really kick-started me um, in ministry, just in my church, um, and uh, I feel like that just allowed me to just walk with this confidence that, like, God was with me, and I was going to just be a new person and bring as many people to him as I could yeah. to experience that. Because it's like when you feel that, you want more people around to have that experience too and to have that hope. I love that. I love that. And you know what? What Natalie said right there, there's so much to unpack it. Matter of fact, this is what I love having this online. You can listen again and again and again, which is so cool. But you know what? Uh, Natalie experienced very real moment with Jesus and change that occurred because of it. Uh, and so she, she had something happen that was beyond her in that moment. And by the way, you can't get around Natalie and not experience Jesus. So I got to be honest. Uh, but it's just so incredible to know what God did and how in that moment in the River Jordan made such a difference in her life. Uh, I, one of my favorite parts of going to Israel is we go out to, to the areas, at least the area where Jesus would have been baptized. Uh, and, and there's a lot of history there. But to go into the River Jordan and get to baptize people uh, in that moment, by the way, almost all of whom had been baptized before, but to want to do it again. And the place he did it, uh, is in powerful, powerful experience that I've not had one person say that it didn't move them to the depths of who they are. And so what I want you to know, that's what Jesus wanted. And by the way, there was a man in the book of Acts who wanted this desperately. We refer to him as the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, this man was a high official in Candace, the court of the queen, uh, the queen of Ethiopia. She, he was a powerful man, a man of influence. He was a very wealthy man. And somehow he fell in love with God. But at that time, a eunuch was not allowed to enter the temple. Why? Because in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, it said, No one who is emasculated or has lost his male organ uh, shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. A surgical procedure was done on him, almost for sure against his will, that he didn't choose. And because of that, he would have been allowed to come and stand outside the temple, but never enter. He would have heard the sound of the choir. He would have heard the sound of the music. He would have seen the smoke rising. He would have smelled the smells of the sacrifice. But he was told time and again, you can't come in. You're not welcome. And yet he continued to travel to the temple to be as close to God as he could. He wanted desperately to be in this relationship. By the way, I would say this. If, we, if every time you showed up to church, we shut the doors and said, you're not welcome, I'll bet money you would never come back. Yet he kept coming back. He had hope against hope that somehow, some way, he would be allowed to go through uh, uh, that baptism experience where he would be able to enter into that relationship with the Lord and he would be considered part of the children of God. So on this one particular trip, we know he did this. He ended up purchasing a scroll. Uh, by the way, this is a similar to the scroll he would have purchased and we've showed it to you before. Uh, but in this scroll, the one he purchased was from Isaiah. Now, there probably were four of these scrolls, but let me just tell you again, they were super expensive. As a matter of fact, in our day and time, it would probably cost him uh, about $95,000 to buy this one scroll. And he bought it. And he gets in a chariot traveling on a deserted desert road in the middle of nowhere with pounding along trying to read the scroll. 
He wanted to read it that badly. He wanted to take in everything that it said. I want to tell you, it wouldn't have been easy. And he was looking for a particular place in Isaiah chapter 56 that said these words. It was a promise he was looking forward to. It said, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will separate me from his people. And listen to the next part. Nor let the eunuchs say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house, within my walls, a memorial and a name that is better than the sons and the daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. I'm betting money and I think I'm right. He bought this scroll because he believed that promise would be for him one day. A man who again and again and again cried out to God to have a relationship with him, to have an experience with him. And then what did God do? God took Philip, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and had him leave an incredible revival to go out in the middle of a deserted desert, not knowing why God wanted him there. And he looked and saw a chariot coming by. And maybe it was an entourage, but he saw the chariot with this Ethiopian official in it. And the Holy Spirit said, go to him, go to him. And it said, he ran up alongside and kept going beside it. And he heard him reading from the scroll, but he wasn't reading Isaiah 56. He was reading Isaiah 53, which describes Jesus. And I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. And Philip looked up and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? He goes, is this about the man, Isaiah, who wrote it? Or is it about someone else? And Philip said, can I come and talk with you? And he got up into the chariot with him and took the scroll and began to show him this was the story of Jesus. There was a prophecy of Jesus given hundreds of years before it occurred where Isaiah was able to see Jesus. And so in that moment, in that opportunity, he began to tell him about Jesus being the one who now had died for his sins, had allowed the promise of him being accepted to occur. And so as they're going along, and it says this in Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 35, it says, then Philip opened his mouth, the beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, look, water, water. What prevents me from being baptized? He said, is there anything, since Jesus did what he did, that stops me from entering into a relationship with God, into the very presence of God? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. I don't want you to miss what happened. The eunuch needed this moment. The eunuch needed this touch from God. The eunuch needed this experience to say, you know what? You're no longer a eunuch. You're now a child of God. You're not a dry tree. You're flourishing in the courts of God. He needed this. He needed it. And when he got it, it produced joy overflowing, which is what you said happened to you when you got baptized. And you know what Galatians 3.27 says? For all of you 
who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. So in baptism, we're united with Christ, clothed with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised with Christ. To live a new life, born again. See, the old Chuck is dead and gone. I, I died in the waters of baptism, and that Chuck was not a good guy. Uh, but you know what? The new Chuck uh, is improving, and, uh, uh, but he's born again, and, and, and uh, the old is dead, and the new has come, and that's what baptism does, and God wants it to be so powerful and so real that it actually causes you to experience him and get a touch from him in one way or another. By the way, because of that, Baptism to be baptism must be done on someone who knows what they're doing and calls out for it. The eunuch had to be the one to say, can I be baptized? Uh, You know, each of you, you need to have the moment you choose baptism for you because you're committing your life to Christ and want to experience the Lord. So number one, baptism is for someone old enough to know what they're doing. Number two, it's got to be done in such a way you do know what you're doing. You may not need to know everything. By the way, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know you want Jesus, but you got to know what you're doing. And then baptism needs to be a moment when you're buried with Christ. In other words, it has to be complete immersion, a complete burial. I used to work at a funeral home and we didn't give discount deals to people who wanted to be put on top of a grave. (laughs) That'd be sick. (laughs) No, they had to get buried all the way. And uh, you know what? You've got to have that happen too. So here's the thing about baptism. If you've never done it in a time where you knew what you were doing wanting this relationship with the Lord, we would love to help you experience that. Uh, If you're online, you could go to crossroadschurch.family and click that you want to be baptized. And we'll do everything we can to help make that experience very special for you. Uh, If you're in the area or want to travel to this area, by the way, now it wasn't all that long ago, a man flew here all the way from England to get baptized. Uh, But if you want to come and be baptized here, then just show up on any Sunday and uh, we will make sure it's a special, special time uh, for you to experience with Jesus. But baptism is a way you feel the touch of God. The next way that you do is through communion. Communion needs to be done regularly. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It needs to be done knowing what you're doing. But where did communion come from? Communion came from the Passover meal, which celebrated God freeing the people from the Egyptians and bringing them out of Egypt in a powerful way on a night when the angel of death came. And anybody who put blood on their doorpost, it says that the the Passover happened. The angel of death passed them over. And they were spared. And they were gods. And they had the opportunity to go. And, and live with the people of God. And so in the Passover meal, there's certain symbols you're to have, sensory experiences you're to have, so that you will learn lessons. And the whole meal is that way. Uh, there are four cups of wine you drink, and each cup has a meaning. And it's a reminder of something special. Uh, you eat bitter herbs. Uh, bitter herbs to remind you of this, of the bitterness that they, the Israelites went through in the land of Egypt and a reminder of all the people who've experienced bitter, hurtful things in their life. And as you eat it, you think about people who've gone through that pain. You drink salt water. Uh, You probably already know what that's to symbolize, to remind you of the tears that were shed by people whose hearts were broken. You eat lamb, 
which is to remind you of the Passover lamb looking one day for a lamb, the lamb of God, who would die for you so all your sins would be forgiven, who is Jesus, by the way. And then you would eat bread. And the bread was called the bread of affliction to remind you of the afflictions that people suffered in the land of Egypt when they were slaves to the Egyptians, but also to remind you of everybody, including yourself and all the afflictions you go through. Jesus told the apostles how he had longed to have this Passover meal with them, how much he wanted to celebrate it with them. It was his last meal before he would die, but it was one he wanted to do with friends, experiencing these sensory experiences. And in the middle of the meal, he picked up the bread of affliction and where he should have said, this is to remind us of the affliction of our forefathers in the land of Egypt. It says in Matthew 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, the bread of affliction, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. In that moment, they had to be so shocked. They're holding the bread of affliction and looking at Jesus. He said, this is my body. Meaning, I want to take your afflictions. I want to take your hurts. I want to take your pains. I want to take your heartbreaks. Whenever I hold communion bread, I always think about, Lord, you don't want any of that pain upon me. You want to bear it for me. You want to be with me. The pain of the sin I've committed, the pain of the sins committed against me. And Jesus wants you to be able to touch it, feel it, eat it, and remember what he did in the midst of it being broken in your mouth. There's something powerful about that. Then they would have eaten some more of that Passover meal. And at the very end of the meal, Jesus picked up a cup, which we know today to be called the cup of Elijah. Uh, during most Passover meals in, in Hasidic communities, they won't drink from the cup of Elijah because they believe somehow the Messiah will drink from that cup and all of those cups all around the world all at once. I have a friend who's Jewish, and he said as a child, he and his, his brothers and sisters would sit around the cup looking at it at the end of the meal to see if any disappeared, which meant the Messiah had come. And Jesus picked it up and drank from it. And it says that when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus in that moment was saying, don't forget the blood I'm about to shed. Don't forget the power of what it does. And then as you drink, remember you're completely forgiven. By the way, as a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, when you are holding that cup, it's a reminder that you've been forgiven from all your sins in the past, all your sins in the present, and all your sins in the future. And you aren't to hang on to any of those. Amen. You're free, you're forgiven, you're cleansed by blood so powerful that it's more powerful than any sin you could commit. Amen. And when you take the bread and you take the cup, it needs to remind you not only you're loved, not only Jesus paid an incredible price for you, but he wants a relationship with you that's real. And so he wants you to sense that in a very sensory way, in a way you can't forget. And you know what I want to tell you is this. Right now, maybe you aren't in a relationship with Jesus that's real where you sense his love, you sense his presence, you sense him uh, guiding you, prompting you. 
and you know that there's no sin you've committed that he doesn't want to forgive and cleanse you from. And right now, if you've never said yes to the Lord, my hope is that you would open up your heart to him. My hope is you'd commit your life to him. My hope is you would say yes to him. And for some of you, I would love for you to recommit your life to him. Uh, because, you know, something, something powerful happens when a Christian comes home. Maybe you're a child of God, but you're not walking with the Lord. You're not close to the Lord. You're not experiencing his love. And maybe you've done things you can't even believe you would ever do as a believer. And here's the thing I want to tell you. Jesus would never turn you away. He would never cast you aside. And so what you need to do is come back to him. So some of you right now may need to commit your life to Christ for the very first time. Some of you may need to find healing from pain and hurt in your life or freedom from something that's plaguing you. Some of you may need to recommit. Some of you might need to do this as a couple. Maybe as a couple that's dating, a couple that's married. Maybe you need to do it with friends. Sometimes it's whole families. It's just whole families. But right now, my hope is you would say yes to the Lord and want to commit yourself to him completely and want to begin to experience this relationship with him that is so real, so true, and so vital. And how do you do that? Well, the Bible says that you pray a prayer. You call on the name of the Lord to be saved. So if that's you right now, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to praise you and thank you that you love us with a love that's everlasting and true. And it's real. And Jesus, you gave your life to us went to the cross for us, shed your blood for us so that we could be completely forgiven. There's nothing we could do that would create this kind of freedom and love and newness in our life. But you did it all. So I pray right now for those who need to accept you and accept your love. I pray right now for those who need to call out to you. I don't know where they are, but Lord, you do. I don't know their names, but you know their names. And you care about them. If that's you right now, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. And I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me back or holding me down. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. And if that's the only word you can say, just say it. Say, I say yes. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. And praise God if you did. But I want to tell you, the next step you need to take is to make it known. Uh, in the tabernacle, in the temple, when someone came and made a decision, it was to be publicly proclaimed. And when you made the decision you made, you want it publicly proclaimed. And so what we want to ask you to do is this. If you have your phone near you, we want you to text AMEN to 77247. Text AMEN to 77247. Or go to Crossroads Church Family and put a click on I said yes, then we're going to get back to you 
and we want to find out who you are. We want to be able to interact with you. We want to send you a free gift, uh, a book that will actually guide you into some steps to take to discover God's purpose for your life. So we want to be with you in this. So don't hide out from us right now. Find a way to get there. Either text us or go to that crossroadschurch.family and let us know of your decision. And I want to say this, we're super excited. Next week's our last week in this particular part of our Wednesday night series. We're going to pick up with a love language called Acts of Service. And it's an incredible way for you to live your life experiencing God's love, having him work with you, in you, and through you. And so I want you to be a part of that. Make sure and be with us. Then in July, Wednesday nights pick up with what we call the best of the best. I've invited some of my best friends who are some of the best speakers I know to come and preach some of their best messages in uh, uh, on Wednesday nights. And so we have a special way of doing that. So get ready in July for that. But may God be with you. May God's love flow up on you, through you, and to others. And may you make a difference for him. God bless you and have a great night. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, What's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.